How do operators deal with shrinking margins? Hello, this is Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business. And in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I speak with Jim Bayless, the Managing Director of the investment firm Capital Spring and CEO of the Operator Sizzling Platter to talk about making do in a rising cost environment. Jim is a friend of the podcast with considerable operational expertise and the world is challenging at the moment. Labor costs are soaring. Wage rates are up more than 13% over the past year, but food costs are up even more, more than 16%, in fact, according to federal data. Add in rising prices for equipment, construction, real estate, and even interest rates, and it's a very difficult environment. And menu prices are only up 7.2%. Jim talks about ways to deal with these challenges while keeping menu price increases to a minimum in a potentially recessionary environment. He also talks about what kinds of technology could prove to be most helpful in the future for operators. We're talking about improving profits on this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, so please have a listen. All right, we are here with friend of the podcast, Jim Bayless. Jim, welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Jonathan. All right, so so I hear that uh, margins are a little tight these days. What's going on? That's an understatement. We're uh, we're dealing blows from every direction right now. You know, it, it, it's amazing. You know, just when you think you, you're able to to counter punch one blow, something else comes up somewhere else. You know, we're seeing obviously commodity pressures across the board. Just about. I mean, wing prices seem to be uh, the only commodity that somehow seems to be functioning or price wise functioning counter to a war in Ukraine. The rest of the commodities have really been pressured. And, you know, obviously labor, although labor seems to be leveling off, both from a wage and and tightness standpoint, the wages have held. And so they're not coming down. So that continues to be a a pressure that we face, um, as well as just overall retention, you know, people and, and hiring is always our first priority. And then, you know, just all the ancillary items from, you know, uniforms to packaging to utilities insurance, you know, our cyber insurance went up, you know, massively year over year. Everything is really being impacted right now across the PL. So margins are definitely being pressured, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. You were at the Nash, uh, at the uh, restaurant finance, right? Remember that one? I do. And, uh, and I remember this and, and talking to some lenders at the time and they're like, oh yeah, margin, we've had margin expansion. That's what they were saying in November margin expansion and talking to one lender specifically there and he said yeah margins are, are are better because sales are good everything is you know things are really good i mean the labor issue was of course a challenge and they were talking about how challenging the environment was but the lenders themselves were talking about margin expansion and literally four weeks later say one of the same bankers said yeah margins are compressed <laughs> and then and they've just simply gone down and it's just like it seems like it's like every single projection, certainly for commodities that people had made going into this year has been like uh, uh, underestimated. And many of these projections for were for like eight to 10%. And, you know, we've seen like, you know, like Subway's meat costs, for instance, are up 25%, uh, things like that. I mean, that's hard. How do you manage in a situation like that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's extremely difficult. And, you know, we have 
you know, close to 3,000 restaurants overall in our portfolio across just about every segment from fine dining, you know, down to quick serve. All of them have been impacted somewhat equally, as I said, with the exception probably of, of wing prices, which have come down, but will likely come up in uh, in Q4, you know, as we get back into football season and so forth. But, you know, it's, it is very challenging to overcome, you know, eight or 10% when you're experiencing 25 and plus, you know, it, it, it is challenging. And, you know, there's a number of tactics that, you know, we've deployed to deal with uh, a lot of the headwinds that are coming, you know, obviously the, the, the most common tactic is pricing, right? You can, Mm -hmm. you can take pricing, you know, everybody has continued to take pricing to offset commodity pressures. There's an enormous amount of air cover right now with the consumer around pricing. That being said, you know, with gas prices where they are, you know, those hit a tipping point as well. And there's only so much pricing, I think, that you can take where the consumer begins to trade down. And, you know, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how this plays out over time. I think we're starting to see, you know, a little bit of trade down overall as, you know, the consumer may move from fine dining into casual or, you know, polished casual, casual, casual into, you know, limited, limited to quick serve and so forth. And I think, you know, the market share pickup between those different categories is going to continue to um, you need to be apparent as, as people do trade down, but, you know, so pricing is a, a common, ta- common tactic to overcome, um, you know, some of the inflationary pressures, you know, there's portion size, you know, you're seeing a lot of restaurant companies do, you know, various, uh, take various tactics with respect to portion size that, that I find to be a bit of a, a, a dangerous game. I think despite what a lot of people may believe consumers are actually very aware of, what happens to portion sizes and, and, you know, when there's less food on the plate or in the bag, I think that they, they honestly notice it. And so I think that's typically a dangerous game. And if you were to survey a lot of consumers, they would say, just take the price, you know, don't, don't try to mess with me. So let me ask you this question though. Like when we, we talk about portion sizes, you mentioned that that was a, a difficult, you know, that, that consumers notice that. And I mean, I, I think that especially in restaurants, like maybe, you know, Package goods can do that, but I don't think restaurants, it's it's a really good idea to me. And I just think that that's not really why people go out to eat at restaurants. And I think that should be an absolute last resort and really only be done in very limited fashions. But we have seen it over the years. I mean, we've seen like quality cuts and and portion size uh, reductions and, and things like that. And I just think it's kind of a bad idea. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think at the end of the day, it's a slippery slope. The consumer does notice uh, reductions in portion sizes, you know, and and obviously different segments are impacted differently, you know, and like, let's say you're a steakhouse chain and you might have a filet that's an eight or 10 ounce, you know, those are your two choices. Maybe you move to seven and nine. So there's not an apparent, you know, reduction in portion size, so to speak, but you're given two different options relative to what might have existed before. Or, you know, another tactic is to add in a third. So maybe you're at five, seven, and nine. And so that gives you a little bit more, gives the consumer a little bit more optionality to move down into a lower price point uh, without actually reducing prices. Now, ultimately, we're trying to protect check average. Check average translates into margin. And you could give up check average in that situation. You have to be careful uh, not to give up too much check average. So, you know, that's, you know, for for a full serve fine dining, you know, those are some of the options that, that you can do there. And then the other is to be very strategic about your menu, you know, looking at the profitability by item 
and really understanding where people might trade into to the extent that you take price and, and look to see and maybe not take price on some items that are that exist as a little bit of higher margin. So if, if you know your guest trades into that item, maybe you don't lose the same dollars as you would if you you know took price on one item and then the secondary item you took price on and they had nowhere to move and so they didn't go anywhere. You know, so you, you really try to be very strategic with respect to where you take price on various items, you know, within the menu. And then, you know, there's the, the cost that you just try to eliminate at the end of the day from your PL. So, you know, just working your way down. Labor is one that, you know, obviously everybody has a lot of control over. The biggest addressable item on the PL at the end of the day that we have control over. And, you know, with respect to labor, there's a number of tactics to deploy. You know, we are looking, as I'm sure a lot of other people are now, at transactions per labor hour versus sales per labor hour because, you know, those are, are it's a much more relevant data point uh, to understand how the efficiency of your labor is performing. Um, and even within that, it's important now to look at items uh, within those transactions. You know, our, our business has fundamentally shifted relative to what it was, you know, call it two or three years ago with the, the amount of digital that we're doing. And, you know, the digital orders are a lot more efficient than non-digital. And so, you know, it's important for us to, to look at the revenue channels and the product mix, you know, and the items per order and really try to figure out what the true labor efficiency should be at the end of the day. And then, you know, really break it into 15 minute increments and say, okay, you know, based upon these factors, you know, what should my labor be on a given day, you know, in a given day part? And then, you know, what technology can I bring in today that can automate various labor functions to you know, even if it doesn't replace labor, it can take some of the pressure off labor. You know, the biggest challenge we face in our industry is when we hit peak periods um, and how do we manage those peak periods? And to the extent we can take pressure off during those peak periods, you know, that's can take, you know, therefore pressure off the labor and, and just making sure shoulder periods, hours of operations, you know, making sure that we really understand our labor extremely thoroughly in a very, you know, detailed fashion and really try to deploy the right amount of staffing against that labor. Overtime is a big factor that, you know, we're all trying to cut back on, make progress on. But, you know, the, the, the ultimate change that's going to take place over the coming, and I think we've spoken about it before, you know, is some level of automation, you know, whether you move to, you know, people ordering from their phones. I mean, you know, I really view, the restaurant of the future, there's not going to be a counter, you know, everything's going to happen from your phone. There may be situations where you actually walk in, um, in a lobby situation and, you know, you're, there's a camera like an Amazon type situation and they're, you know, you, you wave your credit card, you go in, you take whatever you want, you leave and you just get charged. Um, and there's no person, there's no order, you know, and I think the same thing for the drive through, you're going to drive up, place an order on your phone, drive up to the side of the building and whether it's a cubby that spins around and, and your food's in there or somebody hands you the food over, I think, you know, looking at automation to really um, remove labor is going to be a, a key for the future. Right, right. Which, uh, what, what, what pieces of technology that you've seen so far do you think that, that, that you like the most? What do you think that from, from an operator's perspective, what do you think will does, does the best job of at least helping ease the pressure off of, off of operators, off of other employees? Well, in QSR, no question about it. Uh, the voice AI at the drive-through, um, you know, we're testing it in a few of our businesses right now. You know, it's been 
incredibly accurate and successful, you know, 99.9% accurate, upselling 100% of the time, average check up 12%, you know, speed up anywhere from 8 to 20%. And, you know, we've interviewed a number of the guests that have been through uh, the Voice AI drive through and, you know, they really have loved the experience. So, you know, the guest engagement with it is very strong. So, you know, we're, there's no question that that is you know, 12 months from now, you're going to see that proliferated throughout our space. I mean, that, that, that is a, a no brainer, you know, and I can talk about some others if you'd like. Sure. sure. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, th- I think some others are, are, you know, the camera technology is starting to advance pretty far. So, you know, ultimately it's going to get to the point where, you know, again, pulling up to a drive-through, you know, it's going to recognize, you know, your license plate and identify who you are and greet you, remember what you ordered last time and engage with you, you know, with a, a level of consumer engagement, you know, that's much more advanced than what we have today. And then there's a number of geofencing technologies where, you know, and in some of them you have to opt into the location services, but you see the benefit very quickly when you do you know, you're pulling up towards the restaurant, it's already prompting you on your phone to say, oh, welcome back, Jim. You know, great to have you back. I saw last time you ordered a burger, a fry, and a Diet Coke. Uh, Would you like to order the same thing? By the way, we have a new dessert that we're offering, which is going to use some AI technology to make those upsell recommendations based on, you know, like users being more engaged with those items. And, you know, it's going to, you're going to be able to pull up, place the order, it's going to tell you when your order's ready, and then you can pull up to the window. You know, there's a couple of technologies around that that you know are are, are definitely successful. And again, it eliminates that order taker. And then there's obviously all the cooking te- technology. You're seeing miso robotics and a lot of others enter that space and and really try to replace some of the simpler functions uh, back of the house. And you know, I, I think you're going to get to the point where most of the the humans back of the house are really just putting items into bags versus cooking the food or assembling it. I think a lot of that's going to happen automatically. Right. Right. Uh, Yeah. I mean, voice uh, uh, artificial intelligence in particular is rapidly, rapidly finding its way into restaurants and in, in all sorts of, of manners. And, And it, I don't think it's very far into the future where you go through the drive through and you're not really going to deal with a human being at all. Um, unless they have happened to hand you your bag, maybe. I think that's exactly right. I mean, certainly, you know, the, the, the interaction at the box, which I honestly think is going to go away. I, I think to the extent that you want to order with your voice, you know, that, that same voice technology that they place at the menu box can be placed through the, your phone. And so if you open up your phone and you order off of an app, you know, either an app or website or, you know, QR code, that you can do that through your voice as well, and so I, you know, there's no question that 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 the voice tech, the voice technology is already there. I mean, as I said, we're testing it uh, with a couple of different companies right now. The success has been phenomenal. Uh, you know, we're testing it in in parts of the country that have extremely thick accents, and so you know, just to make sure that you know it can really navigate, you know, whether it's a northeastern accent or you know a southern accent. Um, or on the West Coast, a Hispanic accent. And it's been, you know, very successful at all three. And so there's no question that's here. Um, it's around the corner. Uh, it's one of many, but, but that's the one that's probably going to hit the earliest, mm-hmm. you know. 
and, and you know, the camera technology is also very interesting. As I said, you know, it's, it's right. assessing human behavior, uh, which is a little bit scary. So, you know, we're testing a technology now that uses cameras back of the house to identify which workers are most efficient and then comes up with an ideal schedule based on which workers throughout that week would work most would work best together and in which positions. Huh. Um, and it uses a lot of AI to figure that out and come up with that ideal schedule. So videos, video cameras and artificial intelligence to see which workers are better uh, and more efficient and would work better together. That's scary as it sounds. Yes. Wow. wow. All right. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I mean, I mean, I, I know that like, for years and and it doesn't it doesn't really get talked a whole lot but i mean like i know that chipotle in the past certainly has used um has used uh, video cameras as sort of a management tool to i mean it's not so it's not really i mean i think the issue is that you're blending you know the cameras with with ai but i mean companies have been using video cameras to monitor employees for forever to try to figure out, you know, to, and, and to use it in management strategies as well. And I think it was only a matter of time before something like that happened. Yeah. And um, look, uh, we're in tests. We'll see if it actually works at the end of the day. We did speak with one of their other clients who has 400 QSR stores and, you know, has worked very well there. And, you know, it does provide some feedback Obviously, you know, most QSRs do 70% of the business through drive through so the lobby guest isn't as important, but it does provide some great feedback on, you know, how lines are managed in the lobby, which, you know, we really don't have insight into right now. Sure, we bump screens on ticket times and some other things, but, you know, it's not as effective of a tool to really measure your performance. But when you have a camera and you can see when a person walks in, tenders, you know, they're, um, you know, however they're, they're paying, and then the food's handed to them, it's a much more um, insight-driven data that we, you know, we get from some of that camera technology that we didn't have before, you know, and, and you know, there, there's some very interesting technology now too, you know, going back to like protecting margins, uh, you know, a lot on the labor side is not just about, you know, how much we're paying, but it's, it's retaining the people, you know, so often we're losing employees for better pay, right? So how do you keep people, um, without just continually paying them more. And, you know, that employee engagement, you know, it, you're going to see some massive technology around how to keep employees. You know, a lot of employees want to work somewhere that stand for something. And, you know, that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, especially, you know, the younger generation. Uh, but there's, you know, uh, uh, some technology now that, you know, as you, you know, around timekeeping, for example. So when you clock in, you know, it's through facial technology. Um, it's asking you questions about, you know, uh, how are you feeling today? Did you have a good day or bad day so far before coming here? Uh, then, you know, at the end of your shift, hey, how was your shift? Or if it's your first day or first week, um, getting some sentiment feedback and those cameras both reading your facial responses as well as your verbal responses, using that technology to say, you know, this person is likely of, you know, a, a flight risk or over time, this manager, because the you know number of employees responded this particular way, you know, is more susceptible to higher turnover. Uh, we need to do more to engage these, these employees. You know, we're starting to see more and more technology around employee engagement and retention. That's very interesting and, and giving you some predictive analytics as to, you know, who might be a flight risk and, and which managers might be more susceptible to turnover. It's very interesting. 
Yeah. Well, here's a, here's a question that I have. So like, especially, especially at QSR, um, well, also uh, like full service, but especially at QSR, you've seen this proliferation of, of customer focused, customer centric front of house technology. And we've seen it with situations of like uh, a certain coffee chain, for instance, has, uh, you know, a very tech enabled and now it's, it's facing a, a, an uprising in many of its, in many of its locations. And, and there's a direct line between sort of all of the technology at this, this uh, coffee chain and sort of, uh, you know, workers' personal satisfaction. And, they, and you've seen, you know, customers now order more customized drinks. They have bigger orders. Uh, you know, there are all these different, you know, ordering, you know, there's always these, all these different places where you can pick up your order, whether, you know, a drive-through or, or a mobile order pickup or whatever. And, or, and then the front counter as well. And then sometimes this technology breaks and all of that sometimes seems that efforts to make this, the, the restaurant business more tech friendly and more customer friendly, in fact, makes it less worker friendly. And that's one of the big challenges, I think, of restaurants going forward is to, to make sure that the technology they don't add don't, doesn't actually uh, decrease retention. It's a, it's a really good point, you know, and that is definitely the balancing act. And I, I think the key to it, and as you look to some of the unionization in the space, which, you know, I have my own opinion on that I'm not going to share here, but that the more you see, the, the more it makes you realize that, you know, really what a, a number of these employees want at the end of the day is to be heard, to be listened to, you know, that, that is something that, you know, it, it there's no real direct ROI to, you know, it's something where, uh, you know, in a couple of weeks, I'm speaking at a conference on leadership and, you know, there are various forms of leadership within the restaurant organization and they move down into, you know, the GM, DM type leadership, you know, it's very important that you're engaging with your team on a regular basis mm -hmm. on, you know, their sentiment and, and how they're feeling about things and what can you do better and how can you make their life, you know, better or as best that it can be in the situation it is because remember they're spending a huge portion of their day in your restaurant working for you and you know that 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 sentiment factor is just you know it, it's critical to the success of any organization and you know it, it's so funny because i think a lot of it really just revolves around you know, wanting to be heard, feeling like you care. I mean, the power dynamic has completely shifted from where it was five years ago, where they didn't perform, you could fire them, you know, and now, I mean, it's totally different, right? You know, they, they no call, no show. And, you know, you ask them how their day off was. So, you know, it, it's, you have to just deal with it in a different way. The employee, you know, has a lot more power than they ever did. And you really have to show that you care. You know, we're doing you know, a number of different things, you know, one day a week, maybe they can wear jeans as, as silly as it sounds, you know, it goes a long way now within reason, like they can't be, you know, down by their knees, you know, they have to be pulled up and, and so forth. But, um, you know, you know, giving them a little bit more freedom on uniforms, you know, doing a pizza parties periodically, you know, that are kind of team building with activities in there, these little things that may sound silly, you know, make them feel like they're part of something. And that's a big piece of what employees want today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, people have more options now and they even did just before the pandemic. It's, it's easy to forget that, you know, we had, there was a labor shortage before the pandemic. 
but people have more options. You know, you can go drive for Uber. You can make money selling shoes, and plenty of people do that. You know, and people have all sorts of options. And you have uh, now you have a massive labor shortage, and so frankly, employees really do want to feel good about the place that they work, and they want to feel that they're respected. So yeah, I mean for sure, I think it's it's definitely important that you're paying close attention to and listening to your employees without, without any question. And if they're telling you, Hey, look, man, it's too crazy around here. You need to do something about it. Maybe you should. That's exactly right. You know, and um, it's not just sometimes listening for the sake of listening. You know, a lot of times they're a lot closer to the business than we are and, you know, gaining their feedback and, and reacting to it can actually positively impact the performance of the overall business. And, you know, that, typically leads into higher profitability and higher top line. And, you know, the more engaged employees are, the better the business performs. It's always the case, you know, uh, we're all trying. I mean, you made the point earlier about automation and how it negatively impacts the employee experience. You know, I, I think it's a balancing act between taking too much thinking out of it so that they feel like, wow, just, you know, I'm a, I'm a cog in a wheel to, you know, taking enough of the complexity out of it that I remove, you know, some of the, the complicated training and, and tasks and, you know, still keeping them engaged in another way so they don't feel like they're truly just a machine. You know, I mean, um, I, you know, I've heard people refer to certain businesses as, you know, it's going to get to the point where restaurants are just kind of like little manufacturing plants, right? They're just going to be producing food and not really have any guest experience because it's all going to be digital, you know, and there's something to be said for that, but, you know, it's going to be hard to employ people in that situation. Perhaps that situation doesn't employ any people, but to the extent that it continues to, to some degree, you're going to have to keep uh, a human element to it, um, which I think is important. Right, right. But you definitely see a future in which there's almost two different restaurant industries, right? The limited service industry sort of moves to this sort of uh, uh, efficient, uh, you know, a, a business that's focused entirely on moving people quickly and efficiently and with as few people as possible. And then you have the full service where it, it almost in some respects may even go in the other direction, uh, you know, because, I mean, I mean you, you see plenty of evidence right now, actually, that consumers either want convenience or they want an experience. And, Again, that was a pre-pandemic situation, but you know that's even more the case now, where people, if they're going out, they're celebrating and they're going to splurge when they do, you know. But and otherwise, you know, they're they want to get in and out. And I don't even know if they want to deal with the human being. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, and this might be an entirely crazy thought, but I I do think that there may be a situation in the future as you know, you start to see more chef driven sort of limited serve concepts move into this hybrid model where, you know, you may walk into a restaurant and you go to the left and you have some sort of quick limited digital experience that also functions as probably, you know, some sort of ghost, ghost kitchen, which may have two or three brands, same kitchen, but, you know, to the left side, um, on the right side, you know, you may walk in and there may be a bar and you may be served by a server and have this great experience, you know, across all of those different models, you know, you're going to have, you know, higher quality food experience than what you might get in a, in a conventional limited serve today. That's much more chef driven, but 
you know, in the same brick and mortar, you're, you just have, you know, four or five different revenue channels and a bunch of options for the consumer. And they can choose what kind of experience they want to engage with and get, you know, multiple forms of, of cuisine out of that same kitchen. Um, you know, and I think that's something that we're going to we're going to see going forward. And, you know, again, same brick and mortar. They just might choose to, to engage with it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Super. Very different industry going forward. Jim, this was fantastic. Really appreciate uh, you joining me again this week on the podcast. You bet. Thanks so much for having me, Jonathan. I really appreciate it. And that should do it for this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, which was edited, as always, by Kimmy Kaczmarek, our work by Nico Hines. You may find this on other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. You may also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you find your fancy listening shows. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host, podcast producer, and the editor-in-chief of Restaurant Business. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.